Man, it's it's so funny you asked me that because when 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 you said, "Hey, come prepared to answer this question," I was like, "I got so much. I got so much to say." But I think you know, if if I had to sort of you know, pardon the pun, distill it down, it's my revolution is 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 creating a world that is uniquely ours. You know what I mean? That centers us first and foremost. You know, and that's that's really it. Everything I do, all the decisions I make all the folks that I align myself with is with that in mind, right? Trying to be as free as I possibly can. <laughs> can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, Revolution? Let's, Let's make it happen. Let's go. Welcome to the What's Your Revolution show. A show for men and the people who love them. Where we discuss how men can revolutionize themselves. Where they can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corporal. What's good, revolutionaries? We are doing our thing. We are doing our thing. And I have to say this. I got to spend a little time. You know, let me say this out loud. George Floyd is not on trial. Let me say that one more time. George Floyd is not on trial. And that's all I need to say, right? As we move through this space, we understand that... We understand the movement that was that was catalyzed in our hearts and our minds by the senseless killing of this man. He is not on trial. His life should still be a part of us. His spirit should still be a part of us. We should still be able to see and look upon and feel the essence of George Floyd. But we can't. We can't. But we can't. Because for eight minutes and 46 seconds, there was a knee on his neck. Literally. And we proverbially had a knee on our neck for so long. And as, you know, Reverend Al Shopton says, get that knee off my neck. Remember that, revolutionaries. George Floyd is not on trial. And so as I think about this, this space, this ability to talk to, as I say, dope black men doing dope black stuff. That even out there, right, someone is on trial for a killing, we still have a chance to prosper. We still have a chance to look at the younger generation that is coming from behind us who are marching, who are knocking down doors, right? Who are not right, who are not asking permission to welcome themselves in. They are knocking down doors. And I met this young brother a long time ago, right? I used to be a professor in one of my former former lives. I was a professor at Loyola University. I was a psychology professor. Shout out to all of my colleagues there who are doing amazing work, amazing scholarly work there at Loyola. It was a wonderful time for a young scholar, my, young scholar like myself to be in space with students who were inspirational. And yes, I said that, revolutionaries. Students who were and are inspirational. And I saw this young brother walking on campus, and he just kind of had this bravado, but it was, a, it was a humble bravado, right? I was like, who is this dude, right? Who, 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 is, who is this dude walking across campus? So I, I was like, young brother, come here and holler at me for a second, right? I was like, who are you? And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm Andrew Albert. Right. And so we, we started rapping and I would see him more and more on campus and he had some various leadership roles. 
And he was heads above the rest of the other brothers on campus. And not that we didn't have some sharp brothers on campus at Loyola. We did. But sometimes you meet somebody who is already revolutionary in nature, that you can see their revolution and they have seen their revolution. And we began to have more and more conversations. I was like, man, who is your dad? Right. And he was like, you know, my dad, he works in IT at Loyola. I'm like, wait a minute, that little, that little, little ball fella, that's your dad. He's a cool brother. And so the more and more I got to meet and talk to Andrew Albert, my admiration for this young brother began to grow. And I remember, right, him saying, he was like, yo, I'm about to go to London, right, for an internship, correct? Internship or uh, study abroad? Um, so I went twice. Wow. The first one was like an a undergrad study abroad. The second time, well, the first time I went, I was like, yo, I got to get back. And then after I graduated, I found a way to get back from grad school. <laughs> that's right. That's That's right. And I'm like... This brother is going to do his thing. And so I have watched his trajectory over the last 10 years that this brother's gone on to do amazing things. Like you said, went to grad school in London, now works for Venture for America. Um, and just quietly, right, this brother is a distiller. And we're going we're gonna to drop, drop that in. But I want to welcome to the show one of my favorite people, one of my favorite young revolutionaries. I've had, you know, Troy Glover, who is actually running for city council in New Orleans now. So make sure you go and check him out. As I said, that young revolutionary is doing amazing things. And he said, you know what? I'm going to step up. I see my boy, Ethan Ashley. I see all these young, young bulls out here doing amazing things in politics. So shout out to you, Troy Glover. But I want to bring Andrew Albert to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the What's Your Revolution show. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate it. I love that intro, man. It gives me all of the warm and fuzzies, man. I'm so busy, like, just working. You don't get time to stop and think. Like, man, this is, at one point, I did live in London. At one point, I thought I was going to be a professional philosopher. And then now I'm making whiskey, just doing random stuff. <laughs> you know, exactly. Just doing random stuff, but random stuff like I'm not going home to figure out the figure out the recipe to this <laughs> this wonderful whiskey that you got. So I'm just going to jump into that. I mean, you know, as they say, you know, don't hold the lead. Don't bear Don't bear the lead. As I said, <laughs> this brother is a whiskey distiller. And, and I asked him in the green room, I was like, how old are you? He was like, I'm 28 years old, right? How do you say the name of the whiskey so people can go out? Exclave Spirits. Exclave Spirits. And it is a whiskey. Now, I want to make sure it is a whiskey. whiskey that is three years old. Wow. Wow. So, like, that means you were 25 years old when you started thinking about this. And shout out to my boy, John Suarez, one of the coolest dudes, right? One of the coolest dudes you can work with. Just walks into a room, infectious. So shout out to you and congratulations to you and your partners who are doing this amazing work around distillery of, of whiskey. But you're 25 years old and you're like, I, I want to be a whiskey distiller. How did that, how did that happen? Yeah. So <clears throat> It's a kind of, it's not a direct story at all. It's a winding like path to how I got here. Um, and it sort of happened, you know, somewhat indirectly when I was in London. So, you know, like I briefly mentioned, like I studied philosophy at Loyola undergrad, um, had every intention to, you know, going into academia full time. Like that was, that was my thing. Right? I really loved the process. Um, had a had a great uh, advisor that said, "Look, I know you think you want to be a philosophy professor. Uh, that may not be the case. So instead of jumping straight into a PhD program, why don't you 
take some time, you know, get a high power master's degree, live abroad like you wanted to. And if it works out, it's easy for you to get back in a PhD program. And if not, you have something of substance that you can go into the world with. And that turned out to be, you know, incredible advice. Um, because the moment that I got into grad school, like actually was in the mix, I realized that is not what I wanted to do. <laughs> it was very old. It was very white. It was very slow. Nobody really gave a shit about anything other than the very minute details on papers that generally we all agreed upon. So I was like, I got to get I got to get out of here. And, you know, you brought up my pops. Um, <laughs> one of the things that was instilled in me is, you know, you don't half ass something. You finish the job. So I was like, cool, and finish this program, go back home and, and figure something else out. Um, and I guess I had this moment where I was like, what am I like? What am I really trying to address specifically? Like, why is why am I so drawn to philosophy? And, you know, being from New Orleans, the and, you know, of that that Katrina era generation, I was 12, 13 when Katrina happened, what I saw that really disturbed me was specifically black male unemployment in New Orleans, right? Like that was the thing that was like driving me. And I was like, all right, <clears throat> on the face of it, this seems to be like a policy issue, right? So the thought was get real smart, make policy recommendations, change something, keep it pushing, right? That was a very like methodical, logical, removed from human uh, uh, stance. And obviously that's not the way the world works. So I was like, all right, if this is the thing that I'm looking to address, what are the other ways that I could impact it? So I knew I wanted to come back home and it was basically go to business school, start something, or, you know, join Venture for America, this, this organization I found randomly. Uh, as you can imagine, I wasn't feeling school at all. Um, at the time, I didn't have anything that I wanted to start that was worth my time. So I joined VFA as a, as a 2016 fellow. And the job I got was working at a tech company in New Orleans called Lucid in the sort of chief of staff role. So it was everything from FP&A, product marketing, board governance. So I made the board decks for the entire duration that I was there. Wow. Um, I designed their current office space. It's like 30,000 square foot. Like I designed everything. Um, I put together desks. Basically, if there was something that needed to be done and there wasn't someone on payroll tasked with that, it was my job to go figure it out. And the, the key pivotal moment when I was at Lucid was I started August 2016, maybe a month, two months later, they started a pretty big fundraiser series B round where they ended up closing. It was a $60 million round. Wow. Right. So like I said, like I got a front seat to all of this happening, right? Like I have no, I don't really have any business context outside of, you know, used to sell t-shirts, used to sell snacks from home. Like that's really it. Like when I was in street team in new Orleans, right. Yeah. When I was, when I was in school, like it was all philosophy all the time. Like I didn't, I didn't touch any business class. And what I realized from that experience that Series B fundraise was there's no sort of like mystical box or anything like that, right? Like it's, it's simple. <laughs> that's it exactly. That's all it is. And so I was like, all right, I'm watching these dudes like quiz the exec team on, you know, the growth of their company, their plans, all of these things. And at a certain moment, you realize that it's all a rhythm. Rather, there are certain things that you want to hit upon when you're creating your company. And for me specifically, I knew a few things. 
I knew I didn't want to take on a lot of debt, whether that technical debt, financial debt, things of that nature, because once you dig that hole, it's very difficult to get out of it. Right. One of the things I witnessed at, at Lucid and, you know, pretty much all tech companies go through this is fixing technical problems from the past because you just needed to spin something up. And I'm like, man, this company is how, how old are you fixing problems from like the first year? D- didn't want to do that at all. Um, wanted a high margin business, right? The one is something where, you know, the, the success and the growth of the company was honestly not dependent on the whims of like a few, uh, a few, you know, accounts that, that were in the mix. Um, and the other thing too, you know, is I wanted, I wanted a luxury product, right? So I didn't want a product that was based in utility because I knew that if, if I were to create a product based in utility from the outset, that I would make concessions to potential customers that may, may or may not be in line with my vision for the product, right? And just being new to like starting my own midgets, I'm like, all right, I can deal with the luxury space, right? Like I can convince somebody that this is a product that will enhance their life. Mm. So yeah. keep in mind, like I have no business at this point. These are just like, these are the, the, the boxes that I want to check. And same time all this is happening, um, Uncle Nearest is uh, is launched in their release, right? So there's a huge New York Times article. I read the article like everybody else. And <clears throat> whereas everybody else was like, this is an amazing story. I had a butt to it. I was like, this is an amazing story. But there are Black people all over the world. There are more spirits than American whiskey. And the, the story of excellence in Black production is something that actually we should be focusing on, not only, you know, just focusing on a single individual. And I was like, that's a unique opportunity right there. Didn't know how I would get into spirits. I was like, there's something there that hits all of the criteria. It's luxury. It's high margin. I wasn't sure about the third bucket in terms of debt, which is where like the research popped in and realized that, you know, you actually could enter that space and not invest, you know, a a tremendous amount of capital into like building out your facility, this, that, and the third. The the spaces, those spaces are already built. You just have them partnerships. Exactly. And it's so funny. My my thought process was time, man. You know how many people consume spirits? There's no way that there, there isn't some industrial facility that is supplying the majority of spirits. Like just from a sheer numbers perspective, we consume too much for it not to already be created. And it's and New so, Orleans, right? Exactly. New Orleans, right? You're in New Orleans, like the spirit capital, at least of the United States, right? <laughs> and so I was like, all right, let me, let me figure that out. So the same time I'm having these thoughts, um, you know, my two partners uh, who I would eventually start River Basin with are having similar thoughts. And I, so I actually met John through uh, one of my former coworkers, uh, Elliot Weiner. Elliot worked at Lucid um, with me and he was responsible for one of the business units. So he and I, you know, we work together a lot just because, you know, if I'm reported to the exec team, you run a business unit, you got to come talk to me at some point. Right. Um, and we vibe all, you know, we always vibe, you know, always, you know, talk whiskey and, you know, we work well together. And I mentioned that I was into this thing, this whiskey thing. And he was like, yo, I'm into it as well. Like, let's figure out, you know, if we can, if we can do something together. So Elliot, John and myself got together drinking Sazeracs, probably one too many Sazeracs. <laughs> That's so New Orleans. Right. I know. Right. And, and to your point earlier about New Orleans being the whiskey, you know, or just drinking capital, especially in the United States, 
had that, that, that question of why is there no brand that is, is centering New Orleans' importance with regards to cocktail culture, right? Like there are several classic cocktails that come out of the city. There's probably more James Beard award-winning chefs per square mile than any place in the country, right? Like there's a huge concentration of, of culinary sophistication, but no brands that are telling that story. So, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, that's, that's opportunity right there. So we came together <clears throat> and actually launched a river basin distillery um, and put that into market August of 2019. And that story is just very specific to New Orleans. It's centering um, center of the city in terms of cocktail culture and the, the sophistication of cocktail culture. Um, everything's moving well, right? So August 2019, we release our first batch. We sell it out before New Year's. Top of 2020, we're like, yo, we got to hit the streets. We're going to go. Ready. This way on I-10 and this way on I-10. It's hitting. <laughs> and then obviously, you know, cool. we know what happened at the top of 2020. All of those plans completely went away. Right. So we had to make that pivot as, you know, a small company to figure out what are we going to do? And so very quickly, you know, got us onto e-commerce platforms. So being able to ship to, you know, 35, 40 states pretty much overnight, realizing that that's the opportunity right there. And once we did that, I was telling, you know, Elliot and John that I always knew that, you know, this concept of Exclave was coming out of the pipe. Right. So. I was like, man, now now is the time to, to you know, create something that is sort of a, a cousin to River Basin Distillery. So the way it operates is River Basin, you know, distillery, the brands is myself, Elliot, and, uh, and John. And Exclave is, you know, a fully distinct, fully operating entity that is telling a completely different story, right? So go back to my original impetus, right, reading the Uncle Nearest story and, and realizing that there is an entire world of black people that are, are sophisticated when it comes to spirits production, how do we tell that story? So COVID happened, pandemic, I got none of the time on my hands. And <laughs> I'm the wrong person to just give time and say, you can't do anything, right? Like you can't leave. And so the only thing I had was, was barrels, a trademark. And I was like, let me come, to, you know, let me just focus on this, think it through uh, all the way and start putting it out into market. Um, <clears throat> bottled up my first batch of, of Exclave here, the rye whiskey, uh, October of 2020. So keep in mind, March, March hit, I had nothing but a trademark. So from March to October was the creation of this, um, and put it into the market January of this year. And, and now we're moving, man. Um, the, the, the pull through and the reception of the rye has been amazing. Uh, I got a bourbon that's coming out uh, this summer. So the, the whole suite is, is, is coming together very nicely. And, and actually, the brand is, is obviously is very personal to me. But and I think, you know, you'll respect this. The reason the reason I'm sort of so all in on x is because these three um, whiskey iterations that I have coming out. So the Rise Auto release, the bourbon coming in the summer and the American whiskey for next year sort of stand as these pillars for what it means to be, you know, a revolutionary, right? So the rye for me represents authenticity, right? Like it is my personal favorite and it's a sort of a, a, an homage to all of those folks that say, look, this is how I'm moving, right? Like one of the best compliments I got is somebody was like, yo, this label looks like you. And yeah. I was like, that's yeah. exactly what I want, right? 
And the bourbon that's coming out is, is sort of uh, representing this concept of freedom, right? So like freedom is, is something, and I was talking to my wife about this, um, just, you know, in, in a pandemic time, you got shit else to talk, right? And I was telling her, I was like, I feel like, I don't know if it's just because of the pandemic, but I am, am so obsessed with this concept of freedom and what it means to be free as a black man in America. Mm, like, how, does, how does that look? How has it looked historically? How do we want it to look moving forward? And how does it look now? And uh, <clears throat> speaking about my pops, my grandpops, uh, my grandfather gave me a book out. Never forget this. When I was, I don't know, man, I had to be seven, six years old. Um, and pardon, pardon the long story, but it's no, it, no, tell that story, brother. <laughs> um, but he bought me this book about black cowboys. Like when I was mm-hmm. like a, a kid, like I was when I was a kid, I was obsessed with cowboys, right? Like I dressed up like Woody from Toy Story, like <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> I had cowboy boots. I had the whole the whole nine. And you know, he gave me this book, and it like that that concept of, of, of cowboys always stuck with me. And I was always aware that there were black cowboys. And it's, you know, when you're a kid, it's one of those things you just put to the back of your mind. And as I'm going down this path, I've realized that, you know, a, a quarter of all the cowboys were black. Mm-hmm, yes. The reason they were so drawn to that is they were literally, you know, escaping these Freedom. horrible, traumatic Freedom. You know, environments and just wanting to be free out there alone. And I was like, man, that is such a powerful story and what it looks like historically. And I was like, all right, well, how does that tie to now? Right. And I realized, you know, you, you look at, at cities like Baltimore, Philly, whether the, the dirt bikes and the ATVs are always out there in New Orleans, you know, the, the Camaros, the Firebirds on the West Coast with the lowriders. I was like, man, black men are tied to cars in a way that a lot of people think is just materialism, but it's not. It's a freedom tie. It's a freedom. Like you may be able to sort of influence my life in all of these different places, but this car, this bike, you can't touch this. This is mine. And I can move wherever I want. This is my vehicle to get there. You know, sort of poetic in the sense that I was having this sort of historic look back at, you know, cowboys of the past, you know, in their, their actual horses. And now black men moving in these sort of urban spaces in cars and in bikes. I was like, that's it. That's the burden. That is, that is what we're trying to do. And with the American whiskey, you know, to sort of round out the the essential series is if we are authentic, if we're trying to be free, then the sort of the the follow-up question is what does it look like to create a world that is uniquely our own, where we're the center of the story. We're not responding to, you know, traumatic institutions, oppressive institutions. This is a world that we can fully imagine. Right. My favorite one of my favorite authors is Toni Morrison. Right. And black people are centered. Right. Like this is a world for us. And American whiskey sort of serves as, all right, if we are able to paint and create a world that is uniquely ours, what does that look like? Right. Like we're bringing in these sort of influences of Afrofuturism. We're bringing in these these sort of like off the wall sort of um, influences. Right. You know, you think of, of, of cast like Miles Davis, who they were just thinking forward. Like I played it, I recorded it, it's done, we're moving. That's the sort of the angle there. And I think those three pillars is, is sort of, you know, I get so excited talking about that because it's, it's, it's rare that you stumble upon something that you're working on that is so deeply tied to who you are as a person. And I just love sharing it, man. <laughs> like you're not supposed to have dead air, like <laughs> on a show, but I... I 
revolutionaries, I, I think we need to like pause and breathe for a second because what you just heard was like literally a masterclass in entrepreneurship and, and, and you've, you've heard me talk, right? You've, you've heard me talk about thinking about how we get into entrepreneurship, right? We solve a problem, right? We find, we find a value proposition, right? And we, right. What he said, we look for the market. The market will dictate, the market will then dictate how we like create what we want to value, that value proposition. And what you heard through all of that, like the story behind this, like, like you think about this, right? The whiskey, right? The liqueur, the, the whiskey is a creation of, or the fulfillment of black masculinity. If, if, if That's what I heard, the fulfillment, right? But from its most positive sense, you're going to start me preaching real early on this, Andrew. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that sermon comes a little bit later in the show. But if I'm thinking, right, we've got a rye. We've got a bourbon and we've got an American whiskey, whiskey, and we're thinking about the black male experience or what we'd like to see it be. Authenticity, right? I want to show up. <laughs> I want to show up as my most authentic self. Exactly. Right? Dreads, beers in the green room. We were talking about this, right? This is this is me, gray and whatever, <laughs> right? This is my most authentic self. I ain't wore a suit in so long because I, I got tired. My right. most authentic self. Because when we are free, right? We get to the bourbon. I, you know, I haven't really been a bourbon, bourbon drinker. And... But when we are free, right, we can be our most authentic self, right? And in that freedom, bruh, in that freedom, what you're saying is that we can create a world. We can create a country. We can create an America, right? Right? An America that, that doesn't have those three K's in the middle of it. You, you know go. what I'm saying? This is America. This is, no, this is America. That flag represents me, all of us, Right? Right. And so I, I love that in thinking about because that's the revolution for us. If I asked you, right, if I asked you that question right now, Andrew Albert, what's your revolution? You would say what? Man, it's it's so funny you asked me that, because when 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 you said, hey, come prepared to answer this question, I was like, I got so much. I got so much to say. But I think, you know, if, if I had to let's sort of, you know, pardon the pun, distill it down, it's. My revolution is 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 creating a world that is uniquely ours. You know what I mean? That centers us first and foremost. You know, and that's that's really it. Everything I do, all the decisions I make, all the folks that I align myself with, is with that in mind. Yeah. Right. Trying to be as free as I possibly can. <laughs> and that's and that goes, brother. That goes into the early part of this conversation that. Brother Floyd lost his life, right? His freedoms were taken away from him. Yep. Right? The the one freedom that the one freedom that we do have is to breathe this air. Yep. To breathe the to breathe this air. You can't take that away from me, right? To breathe this air. Well, actually, let me let me let me take that back, right? You can take that away from me. Right. Exactly. It was taken away from him. But to be authentic and free, to see, to be you're right, right, that is uniquely mine. This is my unique experience. And let me take that one step further, Andrew, 
to have this unique experience, right, and it to be celebrated, that I can celebrate it, that I can live, that I can find joy. Hashtag black bag, black, black boy joy. Shout out to my man, Wesley, Wesley Bias, right? That it's uniquely mine, that I can go out and say, this is my experience as an American citizen. Right. And I don't want, you know, and I don't want that unique experience to talk about my trauma as a black man. Right. Because that's not what we're talking about. This unique experience is allowing me to build a brand here. Right. That is uniquely mine. I began to write down Terramana. Right. Right. The Rock's tequila, which is which is not bad. Right. Now, I, I haven't been a tequila drinker, but I got Terramana in, in my house. You know, I think about Clooney's brand. Right. Clooney's brand and his. It's vodka. Is it vodka or tequila? It's vodka. It's tequila. It's tequila. It's tequila. Right. And I, w- what I want to see, what I want to see for you is people thinking about The Rock, George Clooney, Andrew Albert selling off or, or, or keeping for one billion dollars. Right. That's that's what I want to see because then you really have the ability. This is your, this is a uniquely mine. This is my my experience. Right. But I, 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 I love that because when I think about revolutions and I think about bringing people on the show, Andrew, this is what this is. This is a young black man. And I'm, 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 I'm going to put that right in big, bold letters. This is a young black man at 25 years old. who said that he wanted to create a unique experience for himself that was built on his revolution, right? That he saw this opportunity. That's what entrepreneurship is. But when you're a black man, entrepreneurship is so much bigger, it's not just about the dollars, right? It's about impacting our communities. Sure. And you heard that story. He's building his brand. He's, he's building his whiskey and bourbon, right, and rye so that black men and people of color, right, around this unique experience. This is amazing, right? And I know revolutionaries, you're saying well, he, he's, he's being quite pastoral right now. Forgive me, right? I've got a, as I said, I've got a savant in front of me. And so I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. So let me pull back here, right? Because you don't do this in a vacuum. You don't do this alone. And I heard you talk about your father, brother Kevin Albert, who we worked together at Loyola, right? And I would see this brother just, right, sashaying across campus with this cool little swag. Shout out to you, my dear friend, man. That, And I would see, we would speak, you know, the head nod as brothers usually do. That's where swagger remember. comes from. <laughs> Say again? That's where that swagger comes that, from. That, that swagger, right? Because it, unassuming, right, humble swag. Tell me about your relationship with your father, right? What, what, what was that like growing up with someone who from what I saw, has this level of humility and grace, but he pushed you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, tell me about that relationship. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> me and my pops tight. Uh, I'm the oldest of, of three boys, so he has, he has all boys. And I think, so my pops, from a, from a personality standpoint, he doesn't take no shit from nobody, right? And But it's not, you know, going out of his way to, you know, you know, throw bows or anything like that. It's, it's to which you said, right? It's that, that, that sort of humble self-assuredness that I can move how I move. I can deliver a message straightforward and you're going to receive that. You know what I mean? So just, you know, as a kid, just observing that, you know, that you can't help but 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 take some of that from, from him. You know what I mean? And I think more importantly, he was 
<laughs> like I said, he doesn't, not only does he not take shit, he has no filters either. <laughs> so, like uh, uh, second place, what is, what is that? You know what I mean? And it was not in the sense of you need to be first as in better than everybody else. In the typical way that we say, you know, there is no second place. You have to be better than everybody else. For him, first place is what are you, is it your best output? Right. Forget everybody else. Like, are you operating at a level that you're supposed to be operating at? If that means technically speaking, you come in fifth, sixth, seventh place. We go with that. But make sure that you, you know, are pleased with the way the, the products that you put out into the world. And it's not it's basically you're not looking to the left and the right. You're looking forward on your path. And, you know, you, you don't sort of appreciate that, I suppose, until you become a man and you start to like you see how that sort of look, man, I'm not competing with nobody but myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, making sure that like you can build relationships with other people because, Hey man, we're not competing. Everybody can eat. Everybody can do their own thing. My competition is with me in a few years, right? Like I'm chasing that dude. You know what I mean? Like who is Andrew in five years and I cannot beat him. It's an impossible thing, but eventually what happens is, you know, it's like lifting weights, right? Like you start lifting heavier weights, you become stronger. Right. And I think, you know, I don't even think he realizes this because he and I have never like talked about it, but the pushing of your, of, of your son to not only just say, you know, do a good job, but do the best job that you can and sort of forget all the other people. It has this sort of this, this, this effect of like, cool. I'm, I know what I can do. I know my capabilities and I'm going to just keep it moving, you know? Andrew, that's that's antithetical to the American way. If you think about that, right? We we are we have been bred on competition. Yep. We're an imperialistic society. We were you know, right culture, right? I'm going I'm going to Hawaii in a couple of weeks, right? We 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 said we went over and said we're going to take your land, right? Like all of these islands, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's us. We, 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 we have competed. Wars have been started because of competition, right? We're still competing for oil, right? Right? You know what I'm saying? And look, I'm about to make a political statement. Nobody's really saying anything to the Saudi prince for Khashoggi. Because, right. Right, right. You know, and I knew my mother was, you know, we're going to get back to my mother said to me, well, why? I can't believe this has not happened. I can't believe that Trump or Biden haven't done anything. I was like, because he's got the Trump card. Right. He, he, he is the Hulk and, and everybody else is just a regular human. Exactly. Right. And so and so it's antithetical. What your what your father said to you is antithetical to the, the to the American way because we have been competing against each other since we were born. You have to be better than everybody else. We've we've even instilled that right into our children. As black people, you still have to be one up. You have to be better than them because all of this is coming for you. But what your father said was, I need you to be better than yourself. Yep. Uh, right. That's it. And thinking about if I want to be better than myself five years from now, you really got to be working hard because you have no clue. What you five you years, can't even conceive this person. <laughs> you haven't even conceived that. So five years. What could I be in five years? And how do I beat him or her or yeah. them? Right. And, and, and them being equitable in this conversation. Yep. That's an amazing thing. And so 
instilling those principles in you, what have been the challenges that you have faced in trying to beat Andrew five years from now? Yeah. Uh, the biggest challenge is that you can never win, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, that's the biggest thing. I think, too, some, some of the challenges that, that come from it is I'm probably more hard on myself than anybody could possibly be, right? So, like, it, it's, it's sort of this, this weird dynamic in the sense that you become Teflon to, like, others' criticism, but your own criticism is somehow 10 times more potent, right? And I think the thing that I'm sort of, I'm figuring out now and like in literally in the process of figuring out is how do you, how do you channel and harness that, that criticism that you can't help but feel into something productive? You know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you take that, that angst, that anxiety and say, look, I can control what I can control and I'm going to focus on building this thing working on this, being a better man, being a better husband, all of these things, you know what I mean? Cause it's easy for it to like, you know, take over you and it's sort of like crippling almost. Right. Because like I said, you're trying to beat somebody that doesn't even exist, you know? Um, and I think to once, once you get to that point where you're able to sort of figure out like how you click as a person, everything else sort of like opens up. It's like, you know, it's like you're waking up almost. And like I said, I'm still in the process of trying to figure out like what makes me tick. But I think that, you know, never ending self-criticism has probably been the biggest challenge like by far. Right. Because we can get, we, you know, even though I'm sitting here, like I said, in front of this very young savant, we're still human, right? You're still human. Yeah. And so those negative thoughts do creep in, Right can I actually make this brand work? I'm sure. Right. I'm, I'm putting my, I'm putting myself out there as a young person. This could fail, yeah. but what I see, and this is, this is Dr. Corporate coming out. I see a different resolve than you than I see in most young men your age. I know, I know I see a different resolve than when I was 25 because I was, I was completely effing up. Right. <laughs> I, look, I had just look at 25, I was I was happy to be a young Omega. Like, let's right. be out. <laughs> let's hop on the yard. I wasn't thinking about being an entrepreneur. And that that is so interest that is so interesting to me. You know, so there's a, a, a level of forethought that has to happen for you right now. Do you think that your father's influence has been the calming factor calming factor for you that has allowed you to excel further in your 20s than most people your age? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. And I think, I think what, what I observe um, just from, you know, friends, peers or whatever is, you know, I keep going back to like the, the looking left and right instead of like looking forward. It's easy to get caught up into this person is doing this, this person is moving that way. Well, you know, on paper, we're the same age. We went to the same school. We've done the same things. I should either be there or better when everybody's path is completely different. Everybody comes to the table with their own bullshit. They have their own challenges. And I think once you sort of realize that it's not about these folks, it's about you. It's easy to just, just keep moving and pushing ahead. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And, you, and you, I don't know if that could be a weakness. I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> I, don't like, see I don't even, I don't even look at whatever. Like, oh, that's dope. I support that. I support that person. Let's do it. Let's let's everybody get it. <laughs> it, it. Exactly. And I think that we have to make sure that we have that mindset that we have the ability to support each other. One thing in this movement that I'm seeing on IG, particularly with women of color, is this. I support you like I'm a mature grown woman and mature grown women like this hate that we got for each other. Like I, I'm not even a part of that. Like I'm going to support you. Right. I'm going to up, uh, uplift you. I want to see that happen. And not that it's not happening with brothers, but I want to see more of this. Right. I, I want to see more of us acknowledging the greatness within each other. To lessen, like you said, the competition, you should not be the competition. You should not be the competition, right? We should be able to build these cadre of resources together to uplift, right? So now you know about Exclave, excuse me, Exclave Spirits. What are you doing to go out and support, right? Yep. Support by the, by. Because an opportunity, it is an opportunity to support a young brother who's doing amazing things, who created a brand that supports us at least in part right that is created for the empowerment of people that look like you and me so yeah. why not why would but i still find like i still see like there's a level of hate that goes on when somebody's successful and yeah. we like we've got to get out of that way we got to get out out of the way of hating each other and uplifting each other for what we're doing and i i have to give a shout out to my crew right just in one second like my cycling crew like we support, like we give you like shout out, like, hey, bro, I listened to the show. Like these were the tidbits that I pulled out. I love what you're doing, bro. Thank you for being that Commodore, right? Who, who, who is doing this thing in the Navy, who's uplifting other black men, right? Thank you for bringing us together and showing us the roads that we need to, we have to uplift each other, right? We can't climb, right? And then look up, right? Without looking back. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a community thing, man. Like, like you, 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 and you know, obviously we're talking about like my, my actual family, but like black people are communal, right? Like this, I didn't happen like in a vacuum, like I'm a product of New Orleans, right? Like I, I'd be remiss to say that, you know, I didn't look up to Master P and Baby and Slim and all of these dudes who basically said, yeah, you, I'm not going to ask you to listen to my mixtape. I'm selling it for $5 and this is where I'm going to be. You know what I mean? Like it's a communal thing. And I, once we realize that you can harness the community for your own individual growth, like once you just start looking at it, just slightly different, just look, look at it from this angle, you'll realize it's much easier to just chop people, pick their brains, take whatever you can and can't take and bring it back home. And it's not it that home. it's not that conceptually like difficult. <laughs> and we got to be able to you know, look, we got to be able to give up some of the tea. You know, I say oh, tea. Okay. Yeah. You know, we got to be willing to say, you know what? I learned this yeah. and I'm going I'm to pass it on. I think about my my sister, my sis. Kelly Salney, who you know, I know you know very well, right? We've got this generational inheritance movement at Camelback Ventures, right? And that's the thing. Part of generational inheritance and creating generational wealth is the knowledge that we have the ability to pass down. We can't hold on to that knowledge. No. We can't think like, oh, this, this, is, this is mine. Our ancestors didn't do that. No, not no. at all. They, they passed it down. Man, people hit me up all the time. Like, yo, I've been working on, I had a call. What's today? Today is Tuesday. 
this was last Saturday. Um, black woman from out of, uh, she's from New Orleans, but lives in BR. Yo, I'm trying to get into wine. Like, can you help me out? I'm like, look, I, I'll tell you as much as I know about wine, which is very little. I'll tell you everything I know about spirits, which is a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. I was like, you take from it what you will. This is my number. You hit me up anytime. Any questions? Yeah. Yeah. What, like, I don't gain anything from sort of being that gatekeeper. If anything, you know, you don't want to be the only person in the room with it. Like, I'm going to see what else everybody else can create, man. Yes. You know, like, that's, it's fun for me. You know, I like, I guess, too, it helps my creative process. Because if we're able to, if we're able to sort of, you know, let's just take whiskey, for example. If you're, if you're able to, to, to speak about whiskey and the plans for your brand and your products in a way that, is sort of past the sort of cursory, just normal, you know, consumer standpoint, then you can teach me some shit that I wouldn't even have thought of. Right. You know what I mean? And you need, I know I personally need that, that creative push. Like, please, more people start. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And we find ways, you know, get into masterminds in, in, so basically the tip here is find your tribe, right? That's find those, yeah. Find those people and, and, there's a, there's potential for you to be the entrepreneur. Sometimes you gotta you gotta be the person to bring the people together. Don't wait, right? And that's a flaw of mine. Don't wait for people to ask you in. As an entrepreneur, sometimes you've got to create the, you've got to create the room that you want to be in. That's it. <laughs> Man, it's so funny you said that because my first my gut reaction to the Western Revolution question was, is I'm trying to teach people how to build tables, not sit at tables. That was the first one I came up with. And then as I'm going through, I'm like, ah, I don't know what that, that one said. Is that really it? And it's so, I guess it's somewhere related to like building a world that is ours because it is building at the end of the day. You know? it, it, it is. It is. And, and, and I love that. Building tables instead of trying to figure out what, can I get in? Will you let me in? Yeah. I want to sit. I want to, I want to, let me nudge it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, no. Right. <laughs> That's fine. And thank you. Yeah. But as I said, build the tables, right? Build the rooms that you want to be in and bring the people who need to who need to hear how to do it. Yep. That's the key thing. When I went to do this show, there was nothing out there. There was nothing out there. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Now, there are other people in the space, right? And we could easily be like, you know what? Nah, I'm not listening. I'm trying to bring you on my show so people can hear about you, right? Shout out to my brother, Phil Roundtree, with Rhetorically Speaking in Philly. He's doing amazing things, right? Um, um, amazing things, Rhetorically Speaking. And met a couple years ago. This brother gets on every night, sometimes by himself, right? And like he's killing. like He's literally killing it. But you want to support, right? He's, he puts something on Instagram. He puts something on Facebook. I'm ready to pass it on. Yep. We do that. Create the rooms that you want to be in. Dear brother, look, uh, and I got to say, dear brother, uh, shout out to my good friend, Amber Hamilton, who, who laughs at me as she listens to the show. She was like, my dear brother, my dear, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dear brother. Yeah, Amber, I said it. I, this is my dear brother, my dear young brother. I got to say that because we don't have too many people out there like you who are doing, doing things that are entrepreneurial, who have the ability to make a mark with their passion. If we think about creating livable communities and livable, livable wage jobs, we do that by we do that by creating something that has the ability to impact people. And in this case, guess what it is? It's spirits. I asked you to go check out Exclave Spirits. Tell people how they can find how to get 
to and buy and purchase as much as you can for your people? Exclavespirits.com is where you can order uh, Exclave. It ships to about 40 different states. So odds are it can ship directly to you unless you may be in North Dakota, but I'm working on North Dakota. <laughs> It's the easiest, most straightforward way to support. Um, on social media, we're at Xplay Spirits on uh, on all mediums. Um, I respond to pretty much everything that I can. Um, so if you have, you know, if you want to just chop it up, if you want to start a whiskey brand, hit me up. I'll give you give you the blueprint, man. It's it's free. <laughs> I'm, I'm around. I'm approachable. <laughs> yeah, he is. Look, look. Like I said, I saw this. Look, I saw this young man walking across campus. I was like, there's something special about this young brother man and you have been able to not only fulfill what i thought you have taken it to you have t as we say in the entrepreneurial world you have 10 x it brother let me tell you and that's and, and that's the return that you want to see when you when you're trying to pour into our young brothers and to see you doing amazing things and being able to give that blueprint out i look i hate to sound paternalistic but in this moment <laughs> i am going to i am extremely proud of you appreciate right it. extremely proud of you as a person i love to hang out with you even as an even as an old man i'm like this brother's got some things some wisdom that i need to hear from you know so i plan on continuing to support you any any way that i can help you move this forward please let me know we got you we got you we got you appreciate evolutionaries it. as i said at the beginning of this show george floyd is not on trial we have to make sure that our voices are heard we have to make sure that our voices are heard. Go out, speak up, protest if you need to protest, right? Protest your feelings. Bring the people along. We have to keep fighting and we, ha we have to keep finding ways to be revolutionary in our lives, in our communities, and the world at large. I wish you well, and I always want you to be able to answer what we think is the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? revolution? Take care, and we will see you soon. Peace, revolutionaries. Peace, 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 pe